This week on the Faculty Factory Podcast. So I think that's that's kind of it, just kind of keeping that at the front of your mind, that you're doing this for a really good reason, and it can be really brutal and hard and, you know, it seems too complicated to figure out. But I think if you keep that in mind, it keeps you moving forward. Love that imparting people's value. So much of what we see with burnout in is people are looking for value and meaning and purpose in life. You know, why am I here? And we're all so consumed and on the grind and running so hard. And I, I love that you take time to make sure everyone recognizes you are important. You matter. This is your work is noble work. I love that. Welcome back to the Faculty Factory Podcast. On today's episode, we have Cheryl Welch, University of Colorado, Mile High City, Denver. Cheryl, how you doing? Why don't you tell everybody all your titles? <laughs> I am doing well, Kim. Thank you so much. So I am the uh, Director of Faculty Affairs at the University of Colorado School of Medicine here on the Anschutz uh, Medical Campus. Wow. And how, did, how long have you been in that position, Cheryl? So I have been in this position, and it's been had I've had a couple of different titles, but I've been in this position about 18 years. So it started in 2001. And how? What was your journey? How did you arrive in this position? Yeah. So um, interesting. I I actually started. Um, as a, we call them secretaries back then, but I was, you know, what we would call an administrative assistant now, um, back in the late 80s and early 90s um, in one of the departments here, OBGYN. And I ended up um, leaving for a while. I decided to become a court reporter. So I had uh, went to school at night while I was working and um, became a court reporter and did that for about four years. I knew about five minutes in that I wasn't going to enjoy it, but, um, you know, I had spent so much time training and so much money kind of getting to that point. I kind of stuck it out for a while. But um, once I finally made that decision to um, get back, uh, to get out of that field, um, a job opportunity came up here at the University of Colorado. So I grabbed it and started working here again in 1998 and uh, worked for for a high-level administrative uh, person here for about three years and then uh, moved into this role here. So I've actually been with the university about 25 years total, but in this position about 18 years. So when you were at that high-level position doing administrative work, Was the move into your director of faculty affairs position a deliberate one, or was it an opportunity that you were seeking leadership and growth, and it was just by happenstance that it was faculty affairs? So that's a great question. I actually was not looking for anything else. And um, within the dean's office here, my position that I'm in currently now um, came open. And um, a couple of people said, hey, you know, you should go check this out and, you know, and and talk to the uh, current associate dean. So I did that. And once I started sort of talking to him about it and talking to him about the position and what my goals were in life, it just seemed like a natural fit. And so I went ahead and applied for the position, got it, and um, am so so happy that I made that decision back then 
because clearly, I mean, I've been here a long time, so I must enjoy it, right? right. Um, but uh, yeah, that was a really great move on my part. And and what's interesting is I had not yet um, finished my bachelor's at that point. Um, I tell everybody I was on the 20-year program for, for my bachelor's. And so I ended up getting uh, finishing my bachelor's online after I came into this position and uh, was really glad that I did that. And then uh, in 2017, finished my um, master's of public administration, so got my MPA a couple years ago. So I, I'm not positive I would have done those things had I not moved into this position. So it really was a good choice and a great opportunity at the time. That is, that's fascinating. Can you describe for all of us currently what your office looks like? The academic affairs, faculty affairs, faculty development, kind of a a kind of bird's eye view of uh, who's what and doing what positions. You bet, you bet. Um, So within the actual office of faculty affairs, we have four staff. Myself as director, and then we have an associate dean for faculty affairs, and then we have one administrative assistant and one coordinator that do a lot of the transactional kind of work that comes through our office. We we have over 4,500 paid faculty, and so we process every single new appointment, renewal, promotion, post-tenure reviews, tenure requests, sabbaticals, things like that. So all of that is done. Um, it starts at the department level and then comes through us eventually. So we do a lot of uh, a lot of that all day, every day. And so we um, are focusing on that. And our faculty development, we um, we do some of it in this office. We don't have a separate office for faculty development, but we do have an academy of, of uh, medical educators that does a lot of workshops and trainings and lectures and things like that. So they handle some of it. And then we will do within our office, we'll do a like a new faculty career development workshop every year. And then our associate dean will do some time management talks, promotion 101 talks, things like that throughout the year. But that's that's kind of the way we handle all of that. And we have also about 3,000 volunteer clinical faculty that are a lot of community physicians that are precepting our students. And we have a separate office underneath faculty affairs that manages all of those um, different actions that uh, go with those individuals. So it's a very small office that does a lot of things. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. What can you describe maybe um, a typical day or typical week, if you can, for all these activities? You, you, you went through the laundry list of the new appointments and the renewals and the appointment and the post-tenure and the sabbaticals. And are you, as the director of faculty affairs, are you touching all that paper or overseeing all those processes? Give us a sense. Are you like, um, are you crunching data all day? Are you overseeing events? Are you meeting with faculty? What's it look like for you in a typical week? Sure. Yeah. So uh, for me personally, I am overseeing all of the processes. Um, I do see a lot. I touch pretty much everything that is done here in one way or another. I touch it, but I'm not necessarily um, entering it into the database or anything like that. Um, our other staff will do all of that kind of work, but I approve all of the actions and um, 
uh, work on, you know, if someone has questions about letters of offer, I help them with language on that, get those moving forward. Um, and then I do meet a lot. I, I meet with a lot of faculty. I kind of, I, I look at myself as sort of the bridge between the faculty member and all of these policies and procedures that are out there. And I have an open door policy, so faculty can come over anytime. And I, you know, talk with them about promotion time clocks, um, how do they, you know, prepare their dossier for promotion, any kind of any kind of logistical questions or uh, procedural questions that they have regarding all of the all of the different rules and things that happen here. And um, and I kind of look at myself, like I said, as sort of that bridge to help them understand all of that. And um, and I do I don't crunch a lot of numbers, but I do a lot of um, data analysis of uh, somebody will, a department will ask me how many faculty have gotten promoted when they're in their fifth year as assistant professor as opposed to seventh year, which is when you're, you know, how long you have to get promoted. So I'll go in, pull out some data, you know, crunch those numbers and um, and feed them back to the department and, and kind of let them know sort of how things really are going here from that kind of perspective. So all those faculty, the 30, uh, over 3,000 volunteer and more than 4,500 paid, and you've been doing this for 18 years. And as this bridge, how, how have you been able to bridge these relationships? I mean, what are your tips or hints or what do you think you're particularly skilled at that has enabled you obviously to flourish in this role and to be identified and have faculty trust you and have that credibility what do you think they find in you? What do they see in you? Or what do you see in you that has made you so successful at this being this bridge? Um, so I, I think I start with making it easy for, I mean, because obviously I wouldn't be able to meet with every single one of these faculty, but I start with trying to make it easy for them to find this information on their own. So I have a really good website that we have developed here. Um, and I really have worked hard on making sure that any information that a faculty member would need is available there. So if they do start there, hopefully they can find answers to questions that they have already without having to necessarily contact me if they don't want to, can't, you know, it's outside of work hours or whatever. And then I think just having that open door policy and being willing to meet with any faculty member, I think is, I I think it helps a lot because I think people will then say, hey, you know, I went over to Cheryl's office and she was more than happy to talk with me about that. So I think sort of just having that open door policy and making that aware to everybody gives them sort of that sense of, oh, I know I can get an answer if I go over there or give her a call. Yeah. Well, I I think I agree with you, and I think you are being a little bit humble. I've known you maybe, what, 10 years now, and you do have a personality that is very open and warm, and you do give off a vibe of being kind of relaxed and kind of calm, and I got this. So I do think that also goes a long way, too. I can't ever imagine you running down a hallway at the University of Colorado with your head down and your face at a scowl and with the kind of the blinders on. Don't talk to me. I'm too busy. So you do. For those people who don't know Cheryl Welch, definitely one of your blessings is that you have a wonderful personality and affect that, that goes a long way toward you having that open door policy and people then wanting to go through your open door. <laughs> 
I appreciate that. Thank you, Kim. <laughs> Why don't you tell us something you've been excited about or something new or innovative or what did you want to share with everybody today? Yeah, so um, I've been thinking about this and it, what I what is going on right now that I think is so exciting is obviously with all of these faculty, we're so huge. And I mean, we are still doing a lot of our uh, faculty action processes on paper. And so it's, which is just so challenging, but it's really difficult to kind of make changes. So we are now moving into the um, electronic age, if you will, for um, uh, processes related to all these faculty actions. And I'm so excited about it. And and it's just, we've finally just been able to sort of make decisions where we can actually start doing these things. Of course, um, you know, as being as big as we are, you can't, these process, changing these processes is like asking a cruise ship to turn left. I mean, it's not going to happen very quickly and it's very difficult. So um, it's a slow process, but um, we are moving towards that where um, we've taken one group of faculty um, and are uh, using an electronic process for all of their faculty actions and we'll eventually move into doing it for all of them. So I'm so excited about that because it's been a long time coming. I've been thinking about this for well over a decade because, um, you know, it's just, and again, you can't just one day decide to do this and, and make these changes. There's a lot of people involved. There are a lot of, um, a lot of staff that work in our individual departments that are involved. And so that's what I'm excited about now. And it's, it's, it's really been fun kind of seeing what, how well it's going and excited about making the change for all faculty actions. Well, can you, I know this has to be incredibly complex, but can you give us maybe one example of a faculty action that you worked through making it electronic? So can you give us an example? You bet. Um, So we've been using a couple of um, different uh, systems. So we use something called Smartsheet. Um, I'm not sure if I can, you know, uh, give these formal names out, but, um, but we, okay, great. Um, so we use Smartsheet. I'm actually very happy with this product, so I would be happy to endorse it, but we use Smartsheet, which is sort of like a, an online, um, it's sort of like a souped up Excel um, kind of spreadsheet, and you can work in workflows within it. And then we attach that to um, uh, DocuSign so that we can have a, a faculty action be prepared online, have um, have all the necessary additional documents attached um, to a web form, and then it moves through an approval process, which includes the department, myself, and then once it gets approved at those levels, all online again, um, then it will move over into DocuSign so the um, official letters of offer can be signed. And then it just sort of moves back into Smartsheet and um, the entire process can be done without anybody printing anything. Pretty amazing. This product, Smartsheet, was it something that you already had internally but hadn't been uh, utilizing it to full capacity or did you bring this in as a new product? strictly for this purpose of faculty actions? Um, we, a little bit of both. Um, we had purchased it a number of years ago. Not really sure. It was just a, it just seemed like a really good product and we purchased it um, to do many different things with. And now it's, um, and then we realized that we could actually accomplish at least some of what we we're trying to do electronically using this system. Um, so yeah, a little bit of both. And this is, it sounds like it's all 
uh, say, oriented or starts in your office? Because it sounds like it's policy type stuff or driven through rules and regulations and formal documents. So I'm trying to get it. It is not, in fact, like a tool that would be employed for annual faculty reviews, for example, where faculty members themselves are participating and actively putting in data. That's correct? That's right. That's right. The faculty action is um, it, it started at a, uh, a different level. It starts at the administrative staff level and then kind of moves through the system. The faculty member would really only um, uh, see this process at the end when they're signing in DocuSign the letter of offer. Wow. So it's, it's it probably just incredibly efficient in terms of time. Not, well, not to mention, forget the, all the trees you, you're, you're murdering. And it's probably a lot more efficient. I'm thinking of when I bought my house, um, it was the same thing. I got this huge document in an email and I thought, mm-hmm. oh no, here we go. But all I had to do was click through it. And then once I had an electronic signature, I just was click, 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 click. And it was the easiest right. thing ever. So I imagine it's the the benefit to the, the time is going to be incredibly uh, incredible savings. That's exactly right. Um, all those things. It's uh it's really, and then you really, unless you have been a part of that process, you probably can't even appreciate how how much time and effort and everything that it saves. So I'm just, we're still tweaking a lot of what we're doing in there and making it um, smoother and better and all of that. But um, but it's all, I'm already seeing the benefits of it. Yes. Now, is that going to be used, or is it also including your appointment and promotion process? Um, uh, yeah, it'll be the appointment process probably. And then, um, the promotion process is done a little bit differently here. So, um, we had already been doing that, uh, electronically. So that was, that's not a part of this. Um, but yeah, the, uh, the new appointment process, at least for this group of faculty that we're, um, using this for, we'll, uh, we'll use that system. Yes. Promotions, you'd already had that electronically. <laughs> A different, yeah, it's a different system, but um, we were already doing that, collecting those electronically. So, so we're kind of moving through as many different, um, you know, uh, places where you have to touch paper. <laughs> we're trying to get through, you know, get to all of those different um, areas and get things as electronic as we possibly can. We just last year at Hopkins finally moved our professorial promotions process to in electronic format just last year. It makes me harken back to the days back in the dinosaur ages when we would write grants and it was these all-nighters in the copy room and people running around Xeroxing copies and big rubber bands and boxes of 12 (laughs) copies of grants and then flying to the FedEx building. And seriously, we're still, up until last year at Hopkins, printing out you know, dozens of copies of people's portfolio. Well, and what, yeah, and what happens is, and I learned this as as we were sort of moving through that other electronic, you know, moving those to electronic process, but it, people get so ingrained and doing things a certain way, it is really, really difficult to change a culture and um, to have people feel okay compiling a promotion dossier online was, it, it wasn't, impossible, but you really had to show the benefit of it in order to have people change their mindset about it. And once we did that, and once we showed that it is easier to do, you can do it from your home computer, you know, you can do it anywhere you want. Um, Once we were able to show that it's, you know, it, it, it was fine. 
But getting to that point, you just have to get past that culture change. And, and a lot of people don't like change. And, and you just have to, and you have to work with that. And you have to work around that and help, and just help people feel better about it. And that's, so we had to sort of go at it from that perspective so that it was at least a success. <laughs> that's so interesting that you bring this up because, you know, that you've been doing this position for 18 years and you're speaking to this organizational change dilemma that we all have and changing culture and people's mindsets. It happens. It's just so embedded in everything we do, culture and mindset and, and communication. And it, it made me think of a conversation we had yesterday at work where uh, our senior administrative coordinator was contacting via email, some other office to get the, the, the list of people who had signed up for thus and such seminar. And I asked her three times. I sent her three emails that I need the sign-in sheet. I need that list. I don't know why she won't give it to me. And it was interesting because I said, okay, well, let's pick up the phone and, and tell her why you need that. Because I think just what you said earlier, when people get into a routine of this is the way I do this, this is the standard operating procedure, I have a checklist, if you will, either people who have had the institutional memory and have been there for decades and they've always done something this way. Then when they're asked, and in this case, the other recipient person, my projecting is that perhaps she was being defensive. Like, why is that office asking me over and over and over six weeks out for this list? I don't, I'll send it to them 10 weeks before. And we, until the phone was picked up and the conversation was had that, you know, we don't mean to be pestering you and we're not just doing extra work. The fact that we want this is because there's pre-work. We want to contact these uh, these participants and offer them another opportunity. And once that is explained, then the person says, oh, I understand. Well, now, would it make sense if on the back end, how about I give you an access to that link? Then you always will know who's. And we thought, oh, my gosh, you know, a conversation and helping people understand where we're headed and why people, you know, think the way they think. That's where we can change culture. But it's just sometimes, we, you know, we think, well, I got it all figured. It makes sense to me. So surely everyone should just come right. and do this. Rather, yeah. as you pointed out, you know, we, we have to all, no matter what we're doing, be cognizant of the fact that other people have their own mindsets and for a darn good reason. So that's why right. we have everybody at a table understanding all the pieces and parts and helping helping each other understand what we're trying to achieve in these shared values. Yes, you're exactly right. That's exactly it. <laughs> yeah. What, what else is going on there that you would love to share? Um, let's see. Um, so we actually have a couple of um, early childhood education initiatives that I think are really cool um, that, that are being developed and they're actually connected with and sort of adjacent to our campus here. Um, we have a composite primary school. Um, it's sort of like a private school that um, will educate three-year-olds up to fifth grade, uh, three-year-olds to fifth graders. Um, and then they're, they'll give, you know, sort of faculty, you know, children and faculty, staff and students here will have preference for enrollment here and and the school will be very, very close to the campus here. And then we also have a a middle and high school that's being built adjacent to our campus called Aurora Science and Technology. 
Um, and that will be for sixth graders. That one's actually opening up this summer for um, the next school year. Um, and it'll ex- eventually expand to a full middle school, but they'll focus on life sciences. And a lot of our faculty will have opportunities to teach over there, volunteer, you know, and, and their kids can be enrolled there. So I think those are really exciting opportunities that are sort of offering options to our community around us and providing places where um, students, uh, children of our uh, students, faculty and staff can actually um, go to school very close to where their parents work. Now, that's something. How in the world did that come about? Yeah, so I think that there's a benefactor that um, is uh, connected with the Compositive Primary School. Um, uh, and I believe both, I'm not positive about where they all began, but um, but um, I believe there's been some contributions to um, helping fund those, uh, fund those initiatives that um, have allowed us to do that. Like you said, I, I love the, the kind of the, the multi-benefits of that people being able to have their kids close to them, but also opportunities for teaching and learning more about teaching. Yeah. And then getting students engaged in STEM and with the university. Right. right. There. That's, you can't lose with that. Now, is there a daycare? Yes, we do have a daycare on this campus, on the Anschutz Medical Campus. Um, I don't, since I don't have any uh, children, I don't know exactly what the um, age range is, but I think that you can, um, I think it takes infants after a certain age and then um, up through uh, um, you know, probably kindergarten. But yeah, it's very nice. I've heard a lot of good things about it. And that was definitely something that had been um, worked on for quite a while before we finally got the space for it and all of the um, regulations were um, taken care of and all of that. So that that's a real win for us to have that on campus. And is it open from nine to five? The complaint we hear from our faculty members is they're like, we have a, a, a daycare and it you know, holds about 20 kids and they open <laughs> nine to five and they send you all these threatening text messages. I have not heard that here. So I, I think it's a little bit different. <laughs> now, I was curious earlier when you talked about, you know, your associate dean for faculty affairs. Did it was faculty mm-hmm. affairs or faculty development? It's faculty affairs, yeah. Now, have you had is this the same associate dean that you've been working with for 18 years or have you had any turnover? Nope, same person. We've been working together for that long. He was in the position uh, um, a little bit before I started in, uh, maybe a year before I started in this position. And and who is that, and how do you two work together? Um, it's Steve Lowenstein, and uh, we work very well together. Um, we're both very uh, independent on what we do, but um, we work very closely when we need to um, kind of work out issues or figure out how we're going to um, present something or, um, or you know, programs like we both do the new faculty career development workshop. I basically put it all together and then he sort of moderates it um, through the day. Uh, but yeah, we work um, very, very well together. And have you had the same dean at University of Colorado School of Medicine in 18 years? Come on, really? No. (laughs) Well, we we actually, we, uh, our current dean has uh, been in his position, I think about four years now, but before that, um, the dean uh, that was in the position um, uh, before that had been in there for almost 25 years. So, yeah, I think he was, 
either one of the longest or the longest uh, serving dean um, uh, at that time. But yeah, so there, I've only seen two two different deans here since I've been here. And so what is your take on the dean's both of those, either of them, their support of faculty affairs and faculty development and the the value that you bring to the faculty? Oh, I think both have been extremely supportive. And um, I, in fact, I don't ever think about it because uh, I, I think there's really, it's just, um, you know, uh, support that's been there the whole time. So we're able to basically create our own programs that we want to do and, um, and we can show value and, and, and all of that. So we basically can do what we feel is necessary for, um, faculty affairs here. Yeah. We, we've always had great support. And your, how many departments do you have there? Like 23. Would you say the same thing that in general, your departmental, um, directors, uh, chairmen are, and chair women are also supportive? Yeah, definitely. We have a group, um, of one, at least one per department. Um, usually it's someone in a faculty affairs role, um, within the department and we meet quarterly, um, and kind of go over, new things that are coming up, you know, new rules changes, something they need to know about so they can take it back to their department. That's not, we haven't been doing that very long. It's only been a couple of years, but that has really, um, it's really helped us uh, keep connected with the departments and what their needs are. They will bring issues that they are having, you know, regarding faculty appointments or something going on within their department. They'll bring those to the meetings and, and we'll discuss them and see if we need to look at things further. So I think that's been very successful and has really helped us, like I said, stay connected with the departments. And And as a staff person, you know, when we have our professional development conferences, we have those what keeps you up at night sessions. And I'm always curious because I've, I don't, I would love to be, be in the, the staff one. What are some of the hot issues that from staff perspective, um, what are the things that staff in academic affairs and faculty development are, are currently wrestling with or worried about or thinking about? I mean, I know you t- you really crack this tough nut with the data. I mean, that's kind of a theme to me is like data and, and anywhere, abundant data, big data, whatever you want to call it. We all, there's just so much data and data overload and information overload and, and wrestling with it. So kudos to you for, you know, not giving up and persevering and getting this, you know, your data under control. You know, is that something that, you know, that comes up or what are the things that you, you know, you talk about in 18 years? Geez, you know, what's... Well, you know, and and kind of thinking that, thinking about that, I I think what I try to impart on at least my staff and any other staff, you know, that that we uh, work with, we work with staff just on a daily basis. I mean, dozens and dozens of staff, and I think just making sure everybody understands how important they are, no matter where they are in the hierarchy of of anything, um, the job that they are doing is so crucial to really what is the greater good here. And I think helping people to, reminding people, helping them to understand how important they are is really crucial. And what has helped me with um, going to all of these GFA meetings, I've only been going for 
um, I think this is probably eighth or ninth year coming up um, that'll all go to the go to these meetings. But sort of hearing that from other similar people that are doing similar things to me really does help strengthen that and strengthen the need for that. And it's just been so great having other individuals that are doing the same thing I'm doing and be able to see that they're also successful and that we can all be successful. And um, so I think that's, that's kind of it, just kind of keeping that at the front of your mind that you're doing this for a really good reason. And it can be really brutal and hard and, you know, it seems too complicated to figure out. But I think if you keep that in mind, it keeps you moving forward. Love that imparting people's value. So much of what we see with burnout in, is people are looking for value and meaning and purpose in life. You know, why am I here? And we're all so consumed and on the grind and running so hard. And I, I love that you take time to make sure everyone recognizes you are important. You matter. This is your work is noble work. I love that. And it's and it's what's great about the um, the individuals that work here, especially in the dean's office. We all have that same philosophy, and so you'll hear it, you know, at meetings. You know, you, people are reminded how important this work is that they're doing, and you know, you come upon times during the year when things are really, really busy, and people just, like you said, get burned out, and. I think just a couple of words of, hey, thanks, you know, really go a long way. They really go a long way. You're exactly right, because it's the same stuff we try to impart to our faculty members in our leadership programs, right? We always tell them, you know, good for you. This time is for you. Take the time. You're here. Be here. Be in the moment. Turn off your laptop. Turn off your phone. Invest in yourself. Be present. This is important. This development, this personal development, this time to pause and reflect and appreciate and celebrate, this is important. And yet, you know, a lot of us, you know, we, we, we say this, and but we ourselves can be guilty of saying, oh, I don't want to go to the con, the PDC conference this year. I'm so busy. I've got so much going on, or I don't have time to do that. But it's the same medicine. Boy, when we go to these conferences, isn't it nice to have that pause, that moment of, yeah, we all have a lot of work at home and yeah, this cult of busy, we're all members of it. But here, I'm here with people who are like me, who get me, who understand. We're on the same journey. I'm taking a moment to be here, to connect with people, to recharge, to re-energize. So I think it's it's the same thing that we all need to be aware of that that reassuring each other. And I love how you say that and it happens in our own community or Hopefully this, this is one, this podcast is one way we can help build community that we have to remind ourselves as leaders in faculty development, and academic affairs, that we're so busy caregiving for our faculty and staff that we also have to take care of ourselves. And I think right. conference is, is one good way. And this is another way of trying to reach out and communicate and, and be present with each other. Yep. I agree. Oh, I I made a note here. I was thinking uh, yesterday, I think it was yesterday at, at work in our leadership program, we invited Janet Bickle to talk about mm-hmm. communicating in a diverse Me Too culture. And of course, our junior faculty loved it, loved her talk. And she ended up with, um, in her in her parting words, talked about having courageous presence. And I've been thinking about that. 
the past, you know, few hours, courageous presence. And I thought, you know, isn't that just a nice way of summing up, uh, I guess just the, the couple words of the couple of days of being when we, when we do our work, when we engage with each other, that we are present, but we have the courage to speak up when people are maybe being disrespected or someone is, um, saying things are not perhaps sensitive. And I just think it plays into what you talked about, how important people are of the courageous presence that advocating for each other and supporting each other when maybe there is a situation where someone is not being um, supported and building that culture of value and you mean something to us and your work here is important. So I just kind of, I noted that when you were talking about that, it made me again, think about Janet Bickle's courageous presence. I just really liked that. I love that term. I wrote it down. (laughs) Yeah, that's that's terrific. And that's another good thing about our community, you know, our, our community around the country in North America, all North America that we have, all these little nuggets and there's so much, you know, so much wisdom and um, great ideas. And so uh, mm-hmm. I just, I, I thank you, Cheryl, for coming on and talking with us and sharing all your, your great news. I imagine um, we'll see you in Chicago and people will be hitting you up to learn more. Well, uh, thank you very much for inviting me. It was really fun. Thanks for tuning in to Faculty Factory Podcast. The mission of the Faculty Factory is to build and support a community of leaders in faculty development who share tools, resources, wisdom, and encouragement in service to our faculty members, schools, and institutions. We encourage you to go to facultyfactory.org to find out more, get in touch with me, ask me any questions. Maybe you want to be interviewed on the podcast. Thanks for tuning in to Faculty Factory Podcast. We'll see you next time. The Faculty Factory podcast and website is sponsored by the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine Office of Faculty. For more information, visit facultyfactory.org.